So I, I want to start this morning, I didn't have this in my notes, but I thought about this as I was playing the bass this morning. Kurt had called me and he said, hey, can you jump in on bass? And I'm always like, of course I'll, I'll play bass. And then he said, well, Matt's going to play drums. And I said that I'm absolutely going to play bass because if I have a chance to play with these guys, I'm going to take that opportunity. I'm so thankful for them. Jill and I went to a concert. We decided to go see um, because... because um, Man, this was hard. We, we went to go see Toad the Wet Sprocket and Gin Blossoms and the Bare Naked Ladies. I can't believe I just said Bare Naked Ladies on camera at church. So that's a band, as we're all aware, just so anybody's asking any questions. But we went to go see the bands, and they're talking, and they're on stage, and they said, hey, we're you know, going into our 35th anniversary as a band. And I stopped, and I looked around. And normally when I go to a concert, I'm like, man, those people are kind of old to be at a show, you know, or you know, whatever, and I look around and I realize there's nobody really young at this show either. Then I realize, oh, we're the old people at the old people show. Because these bands are all celebrating 35 years, and I realize I'm celebrating 35 years of, as I looked at the background of one of the things, I said, Jill, I had that, I had that cassette. I wore that cassette out, and I'm like, what is happening right now? But as I'm sitting there watching them, they're playing, and I'm like, man, these guys are really, really good. Like, they are really, really good musicians. And then I come to First Sunday, I get to play in the band with these guys, and I go, man, these are not just really good musicians that lead us in worship, but these are guys with good hearts. These are some of the best people that I know. And I don't just mean musicians. Greg and Kurt... Matt, Jeff, you guys, are, you guys are good humans who reflect Jesus. I told them it's hard sometimes coming into worship like this because we gather together. And I said it takes me about halfway through my sermon to realize, oh, I'm in front of people and not just Lego people. Today, being in worship, it's a reminder, man, we gather together. We gather together to worship together. As we were playing, and I'm back there playing, I started to feel this pain in my finger because one of my calluses broke open. And if you've ever had a callus and you've ever played an instrument and you feel that and you're trying to grab a note and I'm back there and, and I wasn't doing it out of excitement like, yeah, no, that was out of pain. That was, oh, like grabbing those notes, but it's because that callus ripped open. And as I was back there thinking, as we're playing, I was thinking about that callus ripping open. I thought, man, I'm not playing the bass enough. I'm not prepared for this moment as we're gathering together. And then all of a sudden, this metaphor kind of hit me. I realized that I get into a sermon or I get into the service and I realize it takes halfway through because my heart isn't prepared. Because I'm not doing the things that prepare myself to come together with this community to worship together. And that's exactly why we're learning what we're learning during this series. Because we need to have our calluses put in place. We need to be prepared to be the church. So when we come together, we don't just come together in this moment and go, hey, look, we just did church. Because even if we did it every week, or even if we did it once a month, or even if we did this every single day, if this is all we did, we would never be the church that we're supposed to be. Instead, what we're supposed to do, we're, we do these things that the early church did because it prepares us to be the church that we're supposed to be. And what we do here in this moment is just a small aspect. This is just one aspect of what it means to be the church. 
So I've talked the past couple weeks, and I've said this online. I've said, hey, look, if, if, you, if you just do this, if you just listen to a podcast, if you just come to worship, if you just come to First Sunday, if this, if this is church, then as much as you put in, as much as you're going to get out of that. But there's so much more for us to experience. Man, it's like walking to the edge of a beach, of a lake, of an ocean, and just standing and just experiencing those, that first couple feet. That's not enough. There's something that happens when you go in a little deeper, when you experience the waves, when you experience the sense of the ocean. When you put a little trust in it, you start to tread a little water. That's what's happening in this passage. The the early church did these things because they were learning what it meant to be the church. And what's cool about this is this all happened organically. It happened out of them being the church, doing the things the church does, and this is just what they did. So when we do this, this becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of our rhythm. It becomes who we are. Now listen to this. Listen to what they did. It says that they devoted themselves, and that word is huge. I have all kinds of things I'm devoted to. Jill laughs all the time. I'm devoted to all kinds of sports, and I feel like she finds out every day that there's something else my dad was sitting with me next at the pool. We were talking, and, and for some reason, he starts talking about the rodeo. And Jill's like, you guys watch the rodeo? What did you not watch? She's like, we've been married, and I find out you watch wrestling together? You bet we did. It was the late 80s, early 90s. You know we did. We watched a little rodeo together. Like, we, we, like we watched. And then she's like, did you guys watch Monster Trucks? Absolutely, we 100% watched Monster Shark. That's what, and she says, I don't feel like I know you anymore. Well, that's what marriage is. Marriage is getting to know someone you hardly realize you know. You get to the end of life and you realize maybe you know them a little bit more. That's the gift of marriage. And so we're talking, I realize I'm devoted to these things. I'm not devoted to rodeo anymore. I'm not really devoted to golf. My dad is. But I'm devoted to all these other things. And I realize those pale in comparison to the things I'm supposed to be devoted to. So this series is like this lesson in putting things in the right order. Because sometimes what happens is we have all kinds of things we can be devoted to. I mean, we can be devoted to political parties. We can be devoted to ideology. We can be devoted to philosophy. We can be devoted to our jobs. We can be devoted to having really good grass in our yard and being the envy of the neighborhood. Yeah, you bet. We can do all of those things, but that's not the things that we're supposed to be devoted to. And when I read this, this isn't just about saying, hey, oh yeah, Southeast is devoted to prayer, or Southeast is devoted to fellowship, Southeast is devoted to the apostles preaching, Orion's devoted to all those things. That's not enough. We, you, me, collectively, individually, devoted to these things. This is how we live out the way of Jesus. When we're devoted to these things, it changes us as people. So listen, they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I don't have the time to go into all the other teachings, so if you missed it, go back. Go back and listen to these. The apostles' teaching, as I said, about following the way of Jesus. Fellowship. Man, being more than just fist bumps and, hey, how you doing? Glad you're here this morning. But authentic real relationship 
the kind of relationship that I feel like I sit with my friends and I can, I can be real. Greg, right? Like I can absolutely be me. There's something that happens when you can do that around people who are a part of your church community because they know the good in your life, but they also know the ugliness of your life. And we need to be in real relationship with each other. Breaking of bread, man, sitting around tables together. Actually sitting together, finding time. That picnic that we had a few, what was it, a couple months ago, man, was one of the most holy moments we had in a long time because when you can't do something for a couple years and you realize you can do it, everything changes. And we realize how important those things are to who we are as people. When you can't serve in your community, when you can't do the fun things that you're known for doing, you realize how important those things are and how easy is it for them just to become things you do They just become kind of side things that really need to be significantly in the middle of everything that we do. Apostles teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread. And then we come to prayer. That they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, I wrote this down this morning, that prayer, in its simplest definition, because I tried to think, how, how can I define prayer in the most simple way? And then we'll open that up and explore that. But in its simplest definition... Prayer is talking to God. And then as I wrote that sentence, I wrote another sentence right behind it because I said, let's be honest, talking to God can feel strange. It can feel unsure. It can feel uncomfortable. It's why when we get together and we say, hey, we should probably pray for our meal, everybody kind of looks around at each other. And we all kind of stare at the next person. We hope that maybe the most spiritual person in the room will stand up and offer to pray. And usually what happens is it happens to me all the time. People look at me and I say, hey, I'm taking my day off. Somebody else gets to pray. I don't have to be lead prayer. Somebody else can pray today. We always expect someone else to do it because we always think, right? Well, there's got to be someone who's more qualified to pray. Maybe they'll say better words. There's always somebody who's more spiritual to pray, right? Well, you know, I made that dirty joke earlier today. I feel like I probably shouldn't be the one praying, right? Like, we, we have this, op, this thing that we do. Sorry, just realized there's kids in the room again. We realize that we, we don't feel like we're the most spiritual. We don't feel like we're the most qualified. We don't feel like we're close enough to God to be the one who is praying. This always happens at home, too. We sit with the girls every night. We pray. And one of my favorite things is when they pray. I love listening to them pray. And I think God likes listening to all of us pray. So when it says that they devoted themselves to prayer, I don't think this is, oh, they gathered in a room and someone who was the most qualified said some kind of written prayer. No, I think they were devoted as people to prayer. But here's the thing. I have trepidation about prayer. You have trepidation about prayer. We're, we're all uncertain about prayer. Even the closest followers of Jesus struggle to pray. And that's the great thing about this. We're not alone when it comes to being unsure about what it means to pray. So let's dig into it this morning. Let's learn about this. For our kids who are in the room today, I think this may be one of the most important things that you can learn. So I hope you listen. Because when you learn how to pray... 
And, and when you learn what prayer is all about, this is probably the one thing you're going to learn that may have the most impact on your life. Because it takes no resources to do this. To learn how to pray and what prayer means is just simply doing it. So as adults, as kids today in this room, everybody online that's listening, let's discover what it means to be devoted to prayer. We're going to go to a story in the book of Luke. Luke was written by the same author who wrote Acts, that is the story of the early church that we've been, uh, that we've been talking about these past couple of weeks. In Acts, Luke focused on telling the story of the early church, but in the book of Luke, his story was on, the focus of his story was on Jesus. And in this book, we come to this moment, it's really fascinating, we find Jesus praying, and we find a disciple that comes to him and says, hey, would you teach us how to pray? They wanted to learn how to pray. Now, these are Jesus' closest followers. These are the disciples. Can you imagine them asking, how do we pray? Like the thousands of people around them would be the people who look to these 12 disciples and go, uh, that guy should probably be the one leading the prayer. And they're going, I don't, I don't really know how. I love the humbleness of this moment. Let's listen and see what happens. It says, one day... Jesus was praying in a certain place. <laughs> it's another one of those fascinating, certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So he finished praying. They're kind of waiting. They look around. One of the disciples, so we don't, we don't even get to know who. It's just one of them. It could be any of them because they're all uncertain. Teach us to pray. And you kind of feel the trepidation in this verse. They all wanted to pray, but it almost seems like it took one of them to go up to actually pray. So it was like, okay, you go ask him. I don't want to go ask him. You go ask him. The other guy's like, no, no, you ask him. No, every time we ask him something, he says something like it makes us feel weird about it. Like, you go ask him. So finally, one of them gets the courage. They go up and they say, hey, listen, what, how, how, how do we pray? And I love this, because this is how we are about all kinds of spiritual stuff. Sometimes we have, we have no idea what's going on. That's why we had a series about the Apostles' Creed before we started reading the Apostles' Creed, because we don't just want to do something just to do it. What does this mean? Why is this important? Everybody else seems to know what's going on, but I don't really know what's going on. No, the reality is when it comes to spiritual things, most of us have no idea what's going on. So the best thing we can do is ask be curious, be humble about our answers and say, I'm not really sure, but I want to learn more. Life's too short to pretend that you don't get it. We're all growing. We're all learning what it means to follow Jesus. This includes prayer. So this is an invitation to all of us to learn what it means to pray. So here, listen to Jesus' answer. Jesus said to them, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, this is traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. And I've heard this described a few different ways, and I think this is kind of cool. The way I heard this described is that this is not a building, this is the scaffolding. 
So it's helpful to read it as Jesus said it, but it's more beneficial to think of it as the framework for how you build your prayer. Think of it as the framework from which you build all these different things on. There's sort of this foundation and there's all these things that come from it. And that's really important for us because I want us to focus on the first verse. I want us to focus on this first clause here because I think that everything that comes after it is built on these first couple words. Listen to the words again. It says this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, I told the kids that are in here with us, because as adults, we may never figure this out, we may never get this right, but maybe they will get this right, and they will change this world because they got this clause. If you guys learn this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. You will have incredible impact in this world. Now, hallowed, this is where you say, well, I don't know what hallowed means, Ryan. It's a good place to ask. What does hallowed mean? It sounds cool. I don't know what it means. Well, it's not a word I use a lot. I don't think I've used hallowed until I started writing this sermon this week. I hadn't said it in a long time. In fact, outside of prayer, I don't know that I have ever called anything hallowed. That makes it difficult for us because then it doesn't have any real connection. It doesn't create any sort of images in our minds. Like when I say barn, you see a barn. When I say sword, you see a sword. When I say guitar, you see a guitar in your mind. When I say hallowed, I don't really see much. So what does hallowed mean? What is Jesus talking about here? And what can I see? What, can, what picture can I create in my mind so when I say hallowed, I see hallowed? Well, hallowed means holy. It means sacred. It means revered, it means respected, and you're starting to get a picture in your mind. Everybody's maybe a little bit different of what hallowed means now. What do you see as sacred? What is something that you see as holy? What do you see as revered? What do you see as respected? But it's, it's way bigger than that. It's even more than we can imagine. So let's go to some pictures that we find in Scripture that might help us. A picture of God with this in mind is found in the book of Isaiah. It says this, This is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. This is one of those passages where I want to imagine the voice of God in this moment and I imagine this deep, deep voice. Heaven is my throne. I'm not going to try to do the voice. And the earth is my footstool. But you can hear this, right? The seriousness of this. Where is the house you will build for me? Oh, man, there's a servant there. That's a great question. Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. So this is this picture now. Can you imagine God sitting on a throne? Feet up. This is a reclining throne. This has a little button you pull on the side and it pops up. And God is sitting there just sitting back on that throne, feet up, totally in control. The writer of this poem saw the world around them, rightly so in the ancient world, as scary. It was wild. It was untamed. Man, it's so easy for us today. So easy, especially in our context, our North American context. Everything is simple. Everything feels pretty safe until it doesn't. 
And then everything feels scary. But in this, we have that feeling. So when you feel that moment, as this author was feeling all the time, he's reminded God is in control. Now we see that in the original Hebrew in a way that we miss in our English translation. So I want to go to that today. See, there's this fascinating thing that takes place here. It's one of these crazy translation things that happens, particularly in the Old Testament. And it's where we get the word Lord. This is what the Lord says. The actual word here was the word Yahweh. It was the proper name for God, but it was so revered, it was so sacred that it was never spoken. So the rabbis and the teachers that spoke this, that would, that would recite this, that would write these words down, it, it was easy to translate it into Lord because they wouldn't say Yahweh because it was so sacred it wasn't even spoken. And it was so sacred that there were no vows. It was only written in consonants, no vows. So nobody really knows how this word was spoken. How cool is that? This is one of those wild things we see when we start to dig in a little bit deeper and we realize that he is so revered, he is so sacred, he is so high on his throne that I dare not even say his name. But then this gets really cool. The fascinating thing is that these are consonants in the Hebrew language. Again, no vowels. So we don't really know how to say it. But here's what we discover. That these consonants were not spoken using lips and tongue. These consonants were breathed. The very sound of inhale and exhale. Yod, hey, va, hey. How amazing is that? Just in the language itself. Breathe. Yod, hey, va, hey. We literally all of us breathe the name of God. And that name knows no language. It knows no barrier. It knows no gender. That name is spoken by everybody. In that way, we are reminded just that simple way, that this feet up, totally in control, bigger than all we could ever face God, is also as gentle and as next to us as the very next breath that we take. The author of this poem is pointing that out to us. Yes, the world around us is wild. Yes, I need a God who is bigger than any of that, but I don't have to look very far because in my next breath, I literally breathe the name of God. So revered, so holy that his house and his breath and his, his presence is found as we breathe. Now, do you see a picture for Hallowed that changes everything for you now? 
For this is what the Lord, Yahweh, hey, Vah, hey, says, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. So all of a sudden, this writer of this passage is like, hey, hey, God is bigger than you could ever imagine, is as close as that breath you take, and is as gentle as a mother or father. For the ancient people, the gods were distant. They were angry. They were uncaring. But this isn't the God that we're given of a picture here. This is so cool about Scripture. Scripture shows us people beginning to understand God. This unveiling revelation as they begin to see God in brand new, different ways. And we're given a picture of God here in these verses, reaching down and picking us up like a child, gathering up us into his arms like a mother or a father. Hallowed be your name. Yes, God is bigger than anything we could ever face in this world. And God is like the breath that we breathe. And God is like the, the father or mother that picks us up and holds us when everything around us is scary. And Jesus followed this pattern to a T when he prays this prayer. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed. So he reaffirms God is bigger than anything we'll ever face. But he says, Father, as close as a father is to a mother or child. So, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, look what happens here. This is cool. The prayer had barely begun. Jesus had already shown the disciples the God of the universe to care deeply for each of them. And then you could think that it could go from there and it could turn into, okay, so now it's all about me. Now that I'm in his arms, I can ask for anything I need because the world around me is so scary and so frightening. It's all about my wants and my needs. This is my God. But as reminded earlier, this is our God. Before God loves me, before I can begin to ask anything for myself, we're reminded it's not about us. We're immediately reminded that it's about what God is doing in this world. So Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He changes everything with this. Jesus' message over and over again was to remind us that our life only has meaning when we put it in perspective with what God is doing. I'm going to say that again because, man, that's really good. Our life only has meaning. I mean good because I need to hear this. My life only has meaning when I put it in perspective with what God is doing. Your kingdom come reminds us that God is taking up residence in this world and that we are meant to prepare for that reality. I said this a few weeks ago, and it's so important, I want to repeat it because it illustrates this perfectly for us today. If I believe in the eternal love of God, I'm going to live it out. If I believe in the eternal joy of God, I'm going to live it out. If I believe in heaven that there is no disease, poverty, or hate, I'm going to live it out in this world and rid this world of those things, especially in my life and in the lives of people around me that I care for. If I believe in mercy, love, and grace, I'm going to live to bring those things in this world today. If I believe that God is a God of justice, I'm going to fight injustice at every single turn. If I'm praying for God's kingdom to come to this earth for his will to be done, I'm going to be praying that his will is done through me. 
and that his kingdom is lived out through me. And that's exactly what this is saying. I'm not just going to ask God to live in my neighborhood. I'm going to help him move in. This is what it meant for the early church, that they were devoted to prayer. That they looked around and they said, God is here, present with us. There's injustice over there. God doesn't have injustice up there, so I'm going to rid the injustice here. There's hate over there. I'm going to rid the hate there because it doesn't exist up there. When there's greed in this world, I'm going to rid this world of greed in my heart and around me because it doesn't exist up there. There isn't racism in heaven. There's better not be racism down here. There's only love up there. Why isn't there more love down here? So I want to work. See, guys, this is why I want our kids to hear this. Because God is big enough for anything that you guys will ever face in your entire life. And he also has a request of you. Help me move into your neighborhood. Prepare this world for me. Because it's his kingdom. And it should look like his kingdom around us. We are changed by prayer. Now, we see this when Jesus points to this in the book of Matthew in another telling of the time that he taught this prayer. So we get another moment he teaches this. And I want you to hear this because I think this is crucial as we close. Jesus said, and when you pray, oh, so now he says, here's how you pray. And then he says, and when you pray. Because he's like, I'm going to teach you how to pray. But even if you know the words, even if you have a pretty good concept about it, if you do it in the wrong way, you're going to miss the point. So he says, so when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Which I, th- I go, they did? Well, because I'm thinking about it as a reward that I would want. No, no, no. They got the reward that they wanted. They wanted to be seen by others. They wanted to look like they were the most spiritual in the room. They had no humbleness about them. So they got exactly what they asked for. They wanted to be seen by others. They want to impress other people with the way they pray. But talk about missing the point. Yep, they got their reward. A prayer before Congress. A prayer in front of cameras. A prayer on the 50-yard line doesn't impress God one bit. It might impress other people. You'll get that reward if that's your goal. But Jesus has something else for us. Man, this is so cool. He says, but when you pray, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your Father. In one passage, it says, in secret. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what will you be rewarded with as we close? You'll be rewarded with a changed heart. Your focus will become on God's love and his mercy and his grace and his justice. You'll be rewarded with the ability to see people the way that God sees people. You'll be rewarded by becoming broken by the injustice in this world. And you'll be given a passion for living in a way that brings justice and life to those in need. If that's not the reward that you want, you're not going to get it. 
But if the reward you want is to be changed by God and you pray like this, that's the reward that you will be given. Devotion to prayer doesn't mean you'll always get the words right or you'll say things in the most beautiful way. But here's what it does mean. It means that your life will become a life of beauty that reflects the goodness of God to a world desperately in need of love. So what happens if we become devoted to prayer? What if we become focused on people who we say, we say our goal isn't to be the best prayers out in front of people. Our, our goal isn't to pray the most eloquent way. Our goal as a church, as individuals, is to be people through prayer are completely broken, whose lives are completely restored. As we become people of prayer, our priorities completely shift and change. And this is why when these people were devoted to prayer, they captivated the people around them. They didn't captivate them because they were like, man, those guys really know how to pray over there. They said, no, those people really look like Jesus. Something's happening to them as they pray. So we pray this prayer, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.